Excellent. Thank you, choir. That's a choir of six. It's the first time in a while we've had that many here. Um, we celebrated new homeowners, Mr. and Mrs. Klein, just recently. Evan and Haley closed on their house this week, Monday, and uh, now Evan has a very long honeydew list to take care of, so we wish you well. Yeah, <laughs> we wish you well. <laughs> Congratulations, though. And then also joining them, Sarah Beth Hartle and Celeste Berga. If you really want to watch some fun stuff um, and a musician trying to be as creative as she can be, tune into Celeste's Facebook page. You'll find some fun stuff on there. <laughs> Our gospel lesson this morning comes from the 13th chapter of Matthew. Jesus put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed with the three measures of flour until it was leavened. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which someone found and hid and then in his joy goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and caught fish of every kind. And when it was full, they drew it ashore and sat down and pulled the good into baskets, but threw out the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the furnace of fire, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all this? And they answered, yes. And he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like the master of a household who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. And we're picking up today the continuing the story of the family of Abraham. We have learned about Abraham and Sarah, Hagar and Ishmael. Isaac, his son, married Rebekah. And they had twins, Esau and Jacob. And Jacob has run away from home because he has tricked Esau out of both his birthright and his blessing. And Jacob is working for Abraham's brother, no, for Rebekah's brother Laban. And the story picks up here in the 29th chapter at the 15th verse. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what your wages shall be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were lovely. Uh, This says lovely, some say dull. Something was wrong with her. That's what we know. And Rachel was graceful and beautiful. 
Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than you, than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. And Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter, Leah, and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his maid, Zilpah, to his daughter, Leah, to be her maid. When morning came, it was Leah. Jacob said to Laban, what is this that you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, this is not done in our country, giving the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her work, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel as a wife. And I'm going to pick up, there's one more verse I want you to hear here. Which is 29. Laban gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her maid. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. And he served Laban for another seven years. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as a pastor, I have a practice that I uh, pick out scriptures and hymns and sermon themes and all that kind of stuff, and I usually do it for a season of the church year. So picked out everything for this season of ordinary time in the summer. And Debbie said to me this early this week, she said, "Um, there weren't very many hymns on your list this week. I said, yeah, I know. This text is is a weird one. It's really important because it's the bridge from... Abraham and his family and everything that happens there to Jacob and become, and the formation of the 12 tribes of Israel. But it's really about him just picking a wife. There's not all that much interesting in there. I really don't know what to do with this text, Debbie. And she said, well, it's about persistence. And I thought, well, that's pretty good. I'm going to go with that. So thank you. I appreciate that. We're going to talk a little bit about persistence today. Persistence is ultimately about thinking about God's timing. Part of the problem with God's timing, as you may know, is that God's timing is not our timing. The great evangelist and megachurch pastor Joyce Myers is a prolific author, as you know. She has written a devotional, and I love its title, because its title is When God's Timing is Taking Too Long. 
That seems fitting, doesn't it? Sometimes if you wait on God's timing and it seems like you wait and you wait and it's like, God, what are we doing here? Why are we waiting so long? And surely today in this text, Jacob had to feel that way. God's timing was taking too long. Jacob was this heir to this to the promise of God to Abraham that his descendants would be great, that he would have land, that all would be well. And here Jacob is, unmarried, out of the land where he's supposed to be to make the promise fulfilled. In order for the promise to happen, Jacob has to have a wife so that they can have heirs. But he has to move home, too, and eventually that will happen as well. So Jacob decides he'll work for seven years for the woman that he loves. Don't you wonder if he gives her a rose when he chooses her? Isn't that what they do on The Bachelor? Do you watch that? I don't know. But no, Jacob, the trickster who has tricked his own older brother out of his blessing and his birthright, gets tricked himself by Laban. We don't care that you're the younger one and you have gotten the blessing and the birthright. We don't do that here in this land. I can't give away my younger daughter before my older. Jacob is married to Leah, not Rachel. And so he works another seven years to get to the point to make what God has promised a reality. That, my friends, is what persistence is. Now, oftentimes we hear about patience and persistence. Patience, according to the dictionary, is the capacity to accept delay, trouble, or suffering. So patience is accepting it. Persistence is the obstinate continuance in a course of action in spite of difficulty. If you're patient, you just accept it. If you're persistent, you move through the difficulty, the suffering, the trouble, obstinately continuing. Patient is strong persistence is strong will, not strong want. Persistence is the sand in the oyster becoming a pearl. Persistence is Jesus telling the fishermen to cast their nets in the very same place where they've been fishing all night long. 
only to have the nets overflow to the point of breaking. You perhaps know that there are a myriad of very boring sermon illustrations about people who have been persistent in this world. Einstein and Edison did all kinds of experiments that they had to do tens of thousands of times. Hank Aaron was both the home run and the strikeout king. G.K. Chesterton, who was a great author, as you know, couldn't read until he was eight years old. Van Gogh, Darwin, Michelangelo all had their own struggles, challenges, troubles in moving toward greatness. Oh, can I say this here? But nevertheless, they persisted. It seems to me there are less boring illustrations for sermons that come straight from this very congregation of what persistence looks like. The mother who has children that are my age and has been praying for their salvation since they were born and continues to pray and will until they acknowledge Jesus as their Savior. The widow struggling with relief from her grief. The teen praying for vocational guidance. The lonely, hoping for an end to this stupid virus. Proverbs says, person's mind plans their way, but the Lord directs their steps and makes them sure. We can make all the plans we want. But ultimately, it's God's plans that matter. And in the midst of that, our time is not God's time. God's time is not our time. In Greek, they even have words for this. Kronos is the kind of time that we look at on our watch. But Kairos is God's time. That time that is tied to our persistence, that time that is the kind of thing that we look at God and sometimes shake our fist and say, why God, why can't it happen now? What the scriptures tell us, What God plans is not overdue even by a day. God is never late in God's timing. When you look at this text about Jacob, 
and it says his first seven years had passed, it also says, if you look carefully, he's not whining and saying, God, why is your time not like my time? Why is it taking so long, God? No, it says in the text that Jacob looks and the seven years seemed only like a few days to him. And of course, the story tells us that's because he was so in love. He loved her. But I also will suggest to you that it is because he trusted God's promise. Seven years seemed only like a few days to him because he knew that the promise was going to happen. He was able to be persistent in the midst of all that time, in spite of difficulty, to move forward. The father of my longest friend, we've been friends since we were four, died this week. He had been on dialysis for many, many, many years and had grown weary of it several times. Earlier, he had tried to go off dialysis and just give up and got frightened and went back on it. This time he said, enough. Told the hospice people that he didn't want any more medication, didn't want to go to dialysis anymore. He was done. They said, okay, if that's the way it is, you'll have about 10 days. He only lived two. I went to see him on the day that he decided this, and he looked at me and he said, you know, it's time. And I thought to myself, It's time. You're making a choice here. You know, is this this your time or is this God's time? As he progressed in just those couple of short days, I watched that it was time. It was God's time. He was ready and comfortable to be received by his Savior. He was able to comfort his family as he was passing so that they knew that all would be well for him. It was an example of Proverbs, I think, when it talks about human steps are ordered by the Lord. He had made a choice, but it was a choice to do, I think, what God willed for him and his family. Hmm. Our timing is not God's timing. God's timing is not our timing, and yet we persist 
in moving toward the goals and promises that God has established for us because we trust that in God's time, God will make those promises come true. I want to recommend to you this day, the book of Habakkuk. It is a book that is suited for our time. It's a prophecy. It's short. It's only about five chapters. It's about the time in life when God looks at the people of Israel and says, you are evil in my sight. I'm going to send the Babylonians to destroy you. It talks about the things that come to bring death and dying and destruction to the people. How lonely and isolated they are before it happens. And how Habakkuk prays and wishes for something better for God's people. And as he prays, the Lord speaks to him and says this. But these things I plan won't happen right away. Slowly, steadily, surely the time approaches when the vision will be fulfilled. If it seems slow, do not despair. For these things will surely come to pass. Just be persistent. They will not be overdue even a single day. Ours is a God who keeps promises. Yes, in God's own time, but promise-keeping nonetheless. Thanks be to God. Amen.